Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Writers on Film. My name is John Bleasdale. I'm a writer and film critic, and today I am going to be talking to Keith Phipps, who is a writer of great repute, writes for places such as Rolling Stone, Slate, The Daily Beast, GQ, GQ, Gentleman Quarterly. Gentleman's Quarterly? Is there an apostrophe there somewhere? I bet there is. You can follow him on Twitter at kphipps3000. Um, and we're going to be talking about his brilliant new book, his first book, but an absolute cracker to come out with, The Age of Cage. Can you imagine a more, a better title, not just for a film book, but for a century? Shall we, we'll be calling the 21st century The Age of Cage, and maybe the latter half of the 20th century as well. If you like the episode, please remember to, to do all the things that I ask you to do every single episode. I'm sorry if I'm boring and I repeat them, but it's really, really good if you do that. And our numbers are going up, 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 and that's great. You can follow me on Twitter at DrJonty, although I imagine you already do that. But if you don't, uh, yeah, get on Twitter and, and do that for me as well. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say. So uh, enjoy the cage-full conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to 
when I was very young and, and I used to just kind of obsessively peruse the newspaper, looking at movie ads for, for these films that looked kind of, you know, strange or mysterious, sometimes scary. I remember really obsessing over like the ad for scanners, David Cronenberg film, which of course late years later would become a favorite, but it's like when you're, gosh, I would have been like eight when that came out. And I was like, what, what is this? A man's head explodes. Uh, would I actually want to watch this? Uh, but I mean, a real, real moment was, was stumbling across uh, Siskel and Ebert's show uh, on PBS uh, and kind of realizing these are people who got paid to, to watch, but also talk and think about movies, which sounded pretty good to me. Um, and, you know, from there, I just kind of, I read my local critic was Terry Lawson and, uh, and the, and the Dayton, uh, uh journal Herald. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Um, mm. and, you know, started reading things like Leonard Moulton's movie book, uh, which was, which was huge. And I'd kind of go through and try to watch anything that was three and a half or four stars, mm. uh, which I ended up seeing a lot of great movies. And then a lot of stuff I, there's, you know, edit it for, for local broadcast, cut the pieces uh, that I, that made no sense to me <laughs> at the time. Um, and then, you know, I was a film critic for my junior high school newspaper. Uh, and then to kind of put it on hold for a long time, uh, you know, became an English major in college, went to get a degree. I got a master's degree from University of Wisconsin-Madison, which I ended up not really loving grad school, but I... Um, my first job out of that was I took a job at a, at a video store, as you do when you get a master's degree. And I kind of caught up <laughs> caught up with, with movies I'd never seen. That was my film school, caught up with a bunch of movies I'd never seen while doing freelance reviews, um, most significantly to for the AV Club, which was at that point um, the entertainment section in the back page of the print edition of The Onion. And the editor of The Onion, um, Rob Siegel, who later went on to write The Wrestler, uh, wrote and directed Big Fan. Most recently, he did the Pam and Tommy miniseries on Hulu. Uh, introduced me to the editor of the AV Club, Stephen Thompson, who is now at NPR here and, and, and runs a part of a, pod, a podcast called Pop Culture Happy Hour. Uh, you know, a really uh, great writer, entertaining and a great person. You know, gave me my first job, introduced me to my wife. <laughs> so, you know, I owe a lot to Stephen. Um, so I worked as an assistant editor for a long time, became editor of the AV Club. Um, that lasted for a while uh, and then it didn't. And then I um, helped start a site called The Dissolve uh which was Pitchfork's film site for for a couple of years, which was you know fan, you know I loved doing that my favorite job, um, and you know it was too beautiful for this world I guess <laughs> it lasted two years. Uh, I worked at a place called Uproxx for a while. I've been freelancing for the last uh, few years, just kind of anywhere that will you know that wants to to wants me to write for them. So uh, you know that's. Kind of floating around, you know, from place to place. I, I have really great relationships with sites like The Ringer. I write for GQ's website a lot, um, which is which is which is a lot of fun. TV Guide, Vulture, um, those are my regular places now. But I really want it, you know. Well, and I, I should also say that my longtime co-worker Scott Tobias and I started a newsletter recently called The Reveal. It's thereveal.substack.com, where we can just do whatever we want. It's kind of like our own personal space. But I really want it a big project. You know, I want, I've always wanted to do a book. I've contributed to books and helped edit books, but I never had a book of my own. And I floated around a bunch of ideas. I, 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 I was introduced to a really great agent named Peter Steinberg who helped me kind of shape 
my ideas and you know, went through a fair amount of rejections and discarded ideas. But I came to write this book um, after seeing Mandy uh, in 2018 and, and realizing that, you know, I'd always been an admirer of Nicolas Cage. I and, and who's like right there from the beginning of my really intense interest in film, like Raising Arizona uh, and Moonstruck, you know, were both films I saw in the theater and really made a deep impression on me as a junior high kid um, here. Um, but, um, you know, I realized as someone who'd been kind of is still in the picture, still doing really interesting work. It was a surprising performance in a, in a, in a really remarkable film. And, and I thought, you know, this, there's probably a story here. I mean, he's he's been around in er, so many different eras of Hollywood, which has changed so much since he started. And kind of like the very, very tail end of the 70s film movement. I mean, he started in the early 80s, but, you know, he's working with his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, who's still hanging around there. And like, you know he's he's witnessed to and participated in so many changes over the years like so let's let's look at his films look at his career and l l let's see you know what changed and how one reflects the other um over the years so that's that's that was a long origin story for the book and for me i guess <laughs> <laughs> no that's brilliant that's really interesting to get the shape of uh the shape of, of your life up until this point but by the way one thing i have to ask for for uh, i'm always interested in american culture when people say things like dayton ohio uh -huh. i kind of have this familiarity without knowing anything about it you know i sort of go oh right yeah dayton ohio but I don't. What is? Is it a smallish city, a biggish city? Uh, what's the? What's What's the British equivalent of a of a of a town that most that used to produce a lot of cars, but now or car parts, but now kind of doesn't do anything anymore? Um, yeah, you know, sort of. Uh, you take your pick: Glasgow, Newcastle. Uh, okay, Liverpool. let's just say it was. I'm, for, I'm like the the American equivalent of a Newcastle suburb or something. You know, right. sort of like, but um, with less less of a distinctive culture i think i think newcastle seems like a very distinctive kind of place uh on the map but uh but no it's it's um it's a it's an ohio it's a suburb of ohio's like sixth biggest city if, if that gives mm. you and ohio being you know one of one of our one of our 50 states here in the united states <laughs> it sounds like when you write a letter to, to somebody and you're in primary school and you write your address and at the bottom yeah. you put the earth the universe you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But basically middle of nowhere and definitely not right. a not a not a great uh film culture city although there was a great art theater that was that was pretty influential growing up yeah, I kind of guess that was what I was trying to to get at, is the sense that when you say Dayton, Ohio, there's a kind of slant to it that, that I kind of recognize, but I, I have no knowledge to sort of back it up, you know. Whereas it's, it would be the same if I said Barrow in Furnace to you. You would go, sure. uh-huh, but you wouldn't know that for every any English person that would be, okay, in the middle of nowhere, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I lived in England for a year, actually. I studied abroad in, in, in oh, Lancaster. Right. So I, oh, well, I have... Barrow and Furnace is quite close to Lancaster. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So, yeah, I have, I have a slightly more, a little little bit more knowledge, but no, not not a deep knowledge of, of English geography. Oh, well, you, you, know, you, well, you beat me in terms of uh, my knowledge of American geography, anyway. Um, so, going to, go, uh, Mandy, wh uh, when, what was the occasion when you watched that? Did you, did you see it just a, a festival or a normal screening or what was the... Just a normal screening at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago, which, which is a, a, a um, you know, kind of really the last old time style movie house and our best art theater 
here and, and it's one of my favorite places in the world so i just happened to go to a screening of it and 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 it's kind of it's kind of a light bulb moment and that sent you on a journey sort of to go back and to uh, and to have a look at his other stuff and then and then pitch this as a book yeah i mean i as kind of like to like as i was exploring the idea like well let's see if i actually could do this so i, I went and picked out a couple of recent vod movies um 211 and the humanity bureau neither of which are particularly distinctive films but like 211 was the first one oh maybe like 211 i don't know which, how, you, how you say it uh but it was the first one i watched of those and like it's not a great movie it's not a horrible movie but but he's really interesting in it like here's someone who's still you know he, the way he like he's playing in someone who's grieving and he kind of has this body language of someone who's you know been alone and not really it's become kind of awkward just being around other human beings and like this is you know there's a really thoughtful performance that the material didn't necessarily even require like okay this he's still you know he's not phoning this in like i i can't i can't i'll i can't say that was i followed his 2010s career that extensively because so much of it was under the radar direct to streaming stuff uh but i you know i caught well, the ones that bubbled over i had seen too and 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 was quite impressed by his work in them so I was like okay well let's look at the big picture here and then i kind of scoped out what became the film it's like you know who was he in when he first started out who was he as a star in the 80s like what happened after that because there's a few years like after moonstruck where he seems to like try to run away from what would be a really sensible easy path to you know movie stardom um and then you know he wins an oscar and becomes an action star it's such an odd career path in some ways but you know in the 90s he's at the heart of of how action films are changing and some really some key key texts <laughs> in terms of the evolution of the action movie uh i mean he's just there you know he's 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 there at every stage he's doing something that's both interesting in itself and kind of um and, and a neat or or um, an informative reflection of what's going on in films in general and it, yeah it's so crazy crazily higgledy piggledy his his sort of career it's all going all over the place mm -hmm. but I, and i think people really forget how how kind of how qu quickly he was he he made his mark because i remember watching moonstruck and being really like taken by it because i you know that came out when i must have been a relatively young youngish guy it was like a movie your mum would want to watch and then and then there was he as this really interesting sort of uh presence there really eccentric but but fascinating and completely compelling and 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 doing his own thing but in a way that fits into the rest of the film too which which can't have been the easiest task but yeah he was you know suddenly huge i mean rizzi arizona was the first one i saw and, and again i was i was like 13 or something when, when that came out uh 13 or 14 um so you know i'm just really at the age where you can actually start to maybe sort out you know pay attention to what's going on and sort out and provide some sort of context for it but you know you watch something like his, valley girl his first his first starring role um you know he's he, you know he really pops in that as well um as an unusual um unusual screen presence i mean part of what 
really one of the origins for the book was when I was an editor at Uproxx, I, I did some Nicolas Cage, uh, signs of Nicolas Cage pieces. And my, my friend and, and the great writer, Noel Murray, uh, kind of looked at his early career and said, you know, basically he fit in by being a misfit, you mm. know, which I, which was, was, you know, kind of unlocked an understanding of, 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 you know, of what was going on then. But like, he doesn't really, you know, he's, a, he's a contemporary with the Brat Pack, but he's not really a, part of that even in valley girl where he's playing a teenager and he is i believe i think he was 19 when he made that film he already looks like a grown-up you know and, and it works in the movie it works but but it's like he's not someone you're going to cast in the breakfast club although apparently at one point that was a possibility he was he was in the mix for that as well but he just you know it's his his whole you know aura is not you know carefree teen kid or even like teen kid of any kind he's already kind of kind of a grown-up you know mm. um so i mean that's you know it's interesting but it's also like you know what do what do we do with this guy and um you know he finds interesting ways to fit in to hollywood in those early in those early years sometimes in coppola's films and sometimes not but it's not like an you know he's not like a natural fit into what was going on at the time either and he has a really he has a very ambivalent relationship to being a Coppola, mm-hmm. you know, part of the Coppola family tree. So obviously he changes his name, um, uh, and he he's kind of quite resentful, I think, of people thinking he's only there because he's his uncle's uh, nephew. Yeah, he talks a lot in his early interviews or interviews he gave in the '90s about how you know he grew up as like the not poor kid in Hollywood in Beverly Hills, but, but definitely not, he's not someone who was showing up at high school and in, in sports cars and things like that. Um, and, you know, he saw his uncle had a tremendous amount of wealth. A lot of it was heavily leveraged and could have lost it if Apocalypse <laughs> Now had not been a success. But, but um, you know, I think, you know, he described himself as, as being a little like Heathcliff and Wuthering Heights around that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there is that. And, and he was, mocked by his co-stars for being a Coppola early in his career um and I think you know a lot of you know there was a big desire to at least separate himself from that as as at least a name I mean he's still appearing in Coppola's films he appears to be quite close to his uncle in 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 many ways but you know the he wanted to kind of also make it on his own in, in other respects how would you characterize his sort of style of acting? Because it's not like, uh, you know, I, I, I recently there's been a lot of hoopla about the about the method with you know various actors doing various things, and and I, I've just finished. I read Isaac Butler's book on, on the method, and I was kind of thinking of where where would Cage sort of go? I mean, what what does he? Because he's not he's not trained. He's not he's not done any acting at school, has he? He has a little bit at this at a school in san francisco his name's you know i wrote the book but his name's escaping me uh but no not and he performs a lot in high school for uh at a high school that produces a lot of actors and has a really influential acting teacher so he's not untrained as such but no he's not you know he's hasn't gone through method training or or gone to juilliard or anything like that either but i mean it's, it's tough to pin down his style and it remains tough to pin down his style because, you know, there is a lot of he'll he's quick to cite German expressionism, 
Caligari, Nosferatu, Nosferatu is, you know, explicitly referenced in, in Vampire's Kiss, uh, you know, in, within the film itself as, as inspirations. He does a lot of expressionistic touches like that. But on the other hand, like from Birdie through Pig last year, which I think is, is one of his best performances, he's also really capable of this kind of spare, quiet, naturalistic acting style. I, you know, in the David Gordon Green film, Joe, he's he's so quiet in part, I mean, large parts of the film. His voice, his voice is low. It sounds different from his normal voice. He has a really bushy beard. Like if you didn't, I mean, it's, you know, he's not unrecognizable, but if you didn't know it was a Nicolas Cage movie, it might take you a second to say, hey, that's, that's Nicolas Cage. But he's otherwise not really someone who disappears into roles in, in that sense. Um, but I also feel like, you know, he, he, every role is deeply considered. I mean, he, he spends a lot of time crafting and thinking about what he does. So I don't know, you know, I know I, Isaac could, could speak to where he falls in, you know, in the, in the spectrum of, of 20th century acting, uh, the 21st century acting now, I guess, but, 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 um, but I, I, you know, it is, he's a, it's a little elusive. There's not like one label you can put on it. All the better for that, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, rating Arizona, that was, that's the first film you saw with him in as a, as a, as a kid. And I mean, that was certainly one of my favorite. I didn't, I don't think I saw it when it first came out. I think in England, there was a real sense that the Coen brothers are, they it certainly came on my radar. There was a guy called Jonathan Ross who used to do the incredibly strange film show and he'd do little oh, sure. documentaries where he'd sort of, Sam Raimi, uh, you know, doing the Evil Dead films and the Coen brothers. We got a little bit of that in late night television. I saw a few, few episodes of that. And I certainly, it seemed to be really influential on Edgar Wright and a bunch of other uh, uh, English filmmakers and critics. Yeah, I mean, there was the, that was definitely that introducing these new sort of like, they're not auteurs from the 60s and 70s, the 80s directors who you're interested in. There was another show or like, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a show, but a programming of film which was on BBC Two on a Sunday night called Movie Drome. And it mm. was it was introduced by Alex Cox, who then went on to do Repo Man. That that was our uh, film school. That were just those sure. lists. Going back to Raising Arizona, so I saw it a bit later. I think it would already been out for a fair few years, and I'm just being knocked knocked over by it. It's just a, such an amazing comic performance. It is, and like you know, I get asked a lot what my favorite cage performance is and honestly until people started asking me i didn't even think about it but i think i have to go with raising arizona both for sentimental reasons i mean it was you know it was a key film to me growing up it was the first time you know the first time i saw a nicholas cage performance so that's relevant to this book but but i also feel like it's a lot of what he does really well which is this big physical performance you know explicitly in that case inspired by cartoons um but that character is just so deeply human. I mean, it's, and it's a really rich and, and, and deeply felt performance. And, and by the end of it, I mean, you know, it doesn't take long to really fall for this guy and, and want the best for him. And by, you know, the end of that film is as moving as, as any end of any movie I know. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know that too many other actors give you that balance. I, I know at one point, you know, I know Kevin Costner was considered for the role at one point 
and I, you know, Kyle, I love Costner. He's great, but, but I cannot picture him doing this, this performance at, at all. I can't really picture anyone else doing this performance, that performance. It kind of almost defines Cohenism, <laughs> if there's such mm-hmm. a thing. It's kind of, it's a, a defining thing, and yet you get the feeling that they weren't weren't a hundred percent necessarily in control of it. it. It feels very cagey as well. It seems like there's a fair amount of tension between what they you know they they are direct, directors that come in with really explicit ideas, and I think Cage's natural comes in with with ideas of his own. And it sounds like that was not always the easiest. Uh, collaboration, but you know, whatever what you get on the screen is 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 fantastic. Maybe that's what they need. I think when uh, sort of Coen Brothers, uh, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of their work, but when you feel the cast is a little bit too respectful of mm. of them, you might not you need you sort of need somebody to be rattling around in that box they create. It seems like people either work with them once or work with them again and again and again, and then it might be something you know it might just be a, a an approach that appeals to some actors and not to others. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that, but you're you're absolutely right. There's a there's a Clooney who comes back for more, and then there's the Cage who does one job and that's it. He, he's not part of the ensemble. And so going on into sort of when he's hitting when when is he really hitting stardom do you think or when when is he getting into that i don't know that a list i mean i think moonstruck could have been that it's it, you know I, I read about this in the book but there's there's a los angeles times profile that came out in early 1988 because the film was kind of a slow burning hit like it just kept playing and playing and more people caught up with it uh because movies could do that then in a way that you really can't <laughs> now you know, he just seems really uncomfortable with the attention, with being regarded as a sex symbol. And, you know, there's there's two pictures on the on the, the page of this article. And one is him like kind of looking broody and kind of kind of dreamy looking. And the other is still from from Vampire's Kiss, the infamous moment where he eats a cockroach. And it is it is the duality of, um, you know, where he was at that point in his career and i think he you know he felt the need to do vampire's kiss as kind of a uh swinging the pendulum back the other way uh from where uh moonstruck had taken him but i mean you know in terms of stardom i mean you know he's he you know the early 90s are kind of a weird period you know he dwelled hard obviously is a, is a key performance and, and a great film uh but it comes out the same year as firebirds which was his first kind of um dead end venture into to action movies and and really not a very good movie at all it's 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 it is described uh accurately as top gun with helicopters um and and but not not as good as that sounds but you know he in the early 90s after that though he's he's really in a bunch of successful comedies, a couple of unsuccessful ones, but but uh, successful comedies like Honeymoon in Vegas and uh, you know Guarding Test, it could happen to you, and he's just really good at playing a normal guy, and he, and I don't know that any of those make him a huge star, but he's you know doing steady work, and people people know who he is, and he's a name above the title actor, at least if not always on the biggest possible movies, and I mean ninety five is just the weird year where he gives this really a, you know he rarely does supporting roles he gives this supporting role in kiss of death as the bad guy that that just steals the movie out from everybody else and leaving las vegas is later that year and and you know if you read it's it's funny how these consensus is formed if you read a bunch of you know reviews from that time they're all kind of like well nicholas cage is obviously one of our great actors and you know, it just kind of has been this slow building appreciation and leaving Las Vegas is, is this kind of this undeniable performance. And then 
I remember at the time being completely baffled that this next movie was The Rock, which was already in place when he was making Leaving Las Vegas. So it was already his next movie, even even pre-Oscars. But it is, I mean, that is that is the moment. That's the moment where he becomes a, a movie star. Somewhat, you mean, all these years later, still kind of, you know, it's, it's baffling to me that that happened. And, but it, it did. And, 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 you know, that's kind of a, there's, there's a line you can draw a line there and, and everything after that is, is post-stardom. I went to see that, oh, what uh, The Kiss of Death, the film where he's the baddie. I'm going to see it because of David Caruso, is it? Is the, yeah. Is the lead, who you, I think you described quite amusingly as sort of like he's doing it. He's, he's trying to get out to NYPD Blue and then he sort of blips along in movies until he goes to CSI Miami, you know? Yeah. Uh, not, not, the best, uh, not the best move in the world. But I remember seeing that at the cinema and kind of already really being very, obviously very familiar with Cage from all these movies. And, and just being like, oh, he's doing that now. And it was almost like it was kind of a second, as you say, it was a, it was uh it wasn't the lead and so it was like oh are you gonna you're going into that stage of your career and then of course leaving las vegas came out and it was like oh no you're you're the star yeah he just rarely since then you know the you can count on one hand the number of supporting performances he gives and like again there's just like so many sliding doors moments in this career where maybe he segues into being a character actor after Kiss of Death and, and doing those sort of, you know, someone who you call on to do the meaty supporting performances, you know, like a Willem Dafoe type or something. Occasional mm-hmm. lead, mostly supporting performances, always, always colorful, always worth watching. You know, who knows? Um, you know, he could have done... He could have could have done uh, um, uh, Dumb and Dumber with with Jim Carrey, which was in the works at one point, and and it, you know, he does he goes another direction. It's and you know, Superman could have happened. Uh, he could have done The Matrix or Lord of the Rings. He was he was offered both, and you know, it's 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 weird to think what you know what direction that, that career would have gone in. I mean, with Superman with the Superman movie, I often wonder just like what would have happened. You know what is the butterfly effect of that movie happening on superhero films? You know, do do we get the super film as we superhero film as we know it after that? You know, who knows? And then maybe another universe uh, that they already know what happens. Yeah, I talked to David Hughes who wrote the the brilliant book about. Uh... Tales from Development Hell, all the movies that were the best movies that weren't made, and it's always that that thing you think, oh, I'd really wish we could have seen, you know, Kubrick's Napoleon, but then we would never have got Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. You know, you right. you, you can't have both <laughs> if he's doing what he's not doing the other. I just want to uh, skip back in a you know a suitably eccentric style to The Vampire's Kiss because this was mm-hmm. the film that as soon as I finished reading your book, I I dug out and and watched because I I'd never seen it before. And this was the you know, all the others I was thinking yeah I've seen that I've seen that or I can live without seeing that Firebirds <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then Vampire's Kiss. It was like no, this sounds like it's central to and wow what a film that is it really is and, and you know I've, I've screened it in front of an audience recently at the wisconsin film festival it's the first time i've ever seen it on the big screen or with an audience and you know it, there's a ragged quality to it. it isn't all stitched together perfectly but i think you know you know people i've heard people describe it as, as not a great movie i i think it's pretty good really as a film itself as as kind of a you know now it really plays as this indictment of what we now call toxic masculinity and, and, and white privilege in some really interesting ways. But I mean, for Cage, it seemed to be an opportunity to just try out 
a bunch of acting tricks he wanted to try out. He refers to it now as his, his laboratory that he where he did experiments that he could draw on later in his career. And you can you can see that. I mean, there's a lot of what he does in Face Off in Vampire's Kiss, just just for starters. But I, it's a remarkable, or it's a remarkable movie on it in its in its own right. And and you know, I, I um, I'm I'm fascinated by it. It's, it's one I've 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 seen a bunch. Um, and there's always something a little different each time. <laughs> each time, the, uh, you know, it is it is you know something I talk about in the book too. Is is it, you know, this is a lot of big moments. But they play, you know, as they tend to get excerpted for like YouTube super clips and memes and things like that, they, they look different out of context. I, I think they, they really work in context, whereas they just, you know, they, they can look a little silly out of context or like an actor just kind of, kind of, you know, completely hamming it up. Uh, and there is silliness to what he does in, in that film in some ways but but i think there's also a lot of thought behind it too yeah i mean there's an exuberance to him there's a moment where he leaps on the the desk of his secretary and sort of says where have you been and it's just <laughs> such a you could imagine that that's not on the page you can imagine that's him bringing that to to, to the scene on the day and quite athletic too <laughs> like I, I the first time you know this is the first time i was like oh that's that's a single cut there's no there's no stunt person doing that jumping uh it's not a not a small desk either no no absolutely absolutely it's a real physical commitment and i i just i'm impressed i think it is a good film i'm, I'm i'll put my i'll nail my colors to the mast i i think it's really unexpected the way it, it heads off to this sort of story about bullying you know it's it, it's not where you expect a vampire in new york story to go you'd expect it to go to you know Catherine Deneuve and david bowie hanging around in sexy nightclubs Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, it's very American Psycho in some ways. It's mm. it's you know roughly contemporary with it, um, you know, and you can see bits of it in, in Christian Bale's performance in, in that film as as well. But yeah, it's it's it, it is a it's tough to pin down too because it is a dark comedy and it's funny, but it gets really it's really really ugly at times, especially as it goes along. Mm. Like the longer it goes along. Uh, the uglier it gets, like the the as as you know as he, he his madness tips him over into to sexual violence and murder. Yeah, yeah, there is a bit where it's like I was raped, and and mm -hmm. you that that's not on screen, that's not been seen, but suddenly it's like oh well, okay, fuck this guy, I'm not, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, fun until it's fun until it's not, you know. Yeah, exactly. So we you get the rock, and you get and you get this the this you know, I mean, I guess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the part where he's he's flying into the stratosphere in terms of money, paychecks, and in terms of 
uh, casting and, and the roles he's getting. But he's always he's still you know choosing really interesting interesting roles. Right. I think your ability once you start taking those. Once your asking price becomes so high, you you know the 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 well you can draw from for really interesting roles gets a little um, a little shallower. You know, I mean, you know it, it is, but it, he is you know continuing to do interesting work in this. I, I feel like in terms of action, his action career it kind of dead ends with Gone in sixty seconds, which I think is is not a particularly good movie and and one of his least interesting performances but at the same time he's alternating that with bringing out the dead which was is one of his great performances and 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 a film that's that's really been over i think overlooked in its time i'm i'm happy that it's kind of getting a second look as time has passed i mean 1999 was just such a packed year for movies you know, you can almost feel like you know, looking back now, it's like we didn't realize how good we had it. It was just like it's just two, one or two interesting films every week. It seems like for for a while. So like it, you could get jaded, like oh, just another Scorsese, Paul Schrader movie in which Nicolas Cage gives a really intense performance as a man at the end of his rope uh, with John Goodman and Tom Sizemore. Uh, you know, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, it's 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 easy to get spoiled, I guess, but. But yeah, I, I think he is finding interesting projects. Like, you know, even films that I kind of, I feel like I underrated at the time, like City of Angels, which I think is a, a really, really solid romantic, supernatural romance. I, I think I got hung up on the idea of it being an American Wings of Desire, which I think it departs from that after a while. It actually has a darker ending than, than Wings of Desire, which was is uh, somewhat surprising. But uh, that's one where he does like some of the you know so much it's performed in close-up and i think he's kind of drawing on different elements of silent performance for that one because you use so much done with his face and not any words um yeah it's it's i mean it's not a top tier film in, in his filmography but it's a really solid one and that's kind of looking for i think kind of looking for a way out of just doing action films, just as Meg Ryan, his co-star, who's also who's also really good in the film, was, was trying to find a, a way, you know, find her way away from you know twinkly rom coms, um, or just you know, making sure that she could do other things as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, she's she's sort of going for in the cut and things like that, uh, roughly around the same time. Yeah, talk about an underrated film. I, I I didn't catch up with that until fairly recently, and I think that's that's quite a remarkable movie. Oh, it's it's unbelievable, and it's. The thing that's interesting about that film is it came out when there were all these other sort of erotic, erotic thrillers, mm-hmm. and I think it got really shoved in that at the tail end of that, that genre, and I think it got shoved in that bag, and it's much dirtier and dirtier and more, you know, it's it's much more difficult to watch, you know, it's mm-hmm. giving it's giving you a much edgier idea than than that sort of genre usually does, you know. So, I don't, I in fact, I don't think it really belongs in that genre at all so yeah yeah no definitely definitely one that i've uh, i've only come to recently myself as well i must admit i've not seen city of angels so that'll have to go on the on the list yeah i, mean, I don't want to i don't want to raise your expectations too high because it, but, better but it than was, wings of desire you said better, <laughs> better than, than wings, wings of desire, of desire. Vin Vendor should have just retired after he saw it. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, so we we then then you have like these action. Uh, I mean, something that just occurs to me when as we're talking about this, and we're, we talk about the Coen Brothers not having like having directors, having actors, sorry, who either join the ensemble or they don't work with them again. Cage has never really had a director that sort of made him 
his you, you know his or her project or do you know what i mean not in the same way that sort of scorsese with de niro and dicaprio mm-hmm. to some extent you know he's worked with a lot of great directors once you know david lynch Coen brothers alan parker scorsese do you think that's just like his restlessness that he just wants to go on and do something else with someone else yeah, that's, that's tough. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I know Figgis wanted to make him his De Niro after leaving Las Vegas and then, you know, other other opportunities called. Um, he's worked with a few a couple of times. He worked with John Woo twice. The second time with Wind, with Wind Talkers, which was, you know, roundly rejected at the time. Uh, I don't think it's, it's not as, it's not an imperfect film, but I think it's an underrated film. I think the expectations for that was like, they wanted to see Face Off and what they got was sort of, John Woo doing a Hollywood version of, of Bullet in the Head, which is a film that's like just deeply uncomfortable with violence, deeply uncomfortable with war, kind of wanting to show viewers how, how awful it is to be in combat and the, and the toll it takes on the psyche. It's like, I think it's quite effective at that, but it's not what, you know, not what summer movie audiences wanted at, at the time. Um, you know, he works with Schrader a couple of times. Like he, he, Paul Schrader, he, he was almost worked with him at the end of the 80s on a remake of uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, which never happened. That would have been good. That would have been good. I think I think Schrader at that point and Cage at that point it would have been a really interesting film. But I mean, he seems to have good relationships with people. He works with Turtle Top three times uh, on the National Treasure films and and um season uh, uh, sorry not season although which the sorcerer's apprentice uh and and uh uh that that kind of ends that collaboration seemingly but um yeah, yeah you're right i he does seem to kind of kind of go from director to director and and you know I, I mean nothing else he can look back on his career and say i, I worked with so many of the, of the greats of the um you know at the uh, throughout my career when do you think because there is this sort of transformation and and you know his most recent movie is probably the sort of crowning moment of this where i find it similar to keanu reeves where he started to become this sort of national treasure this sort of like oh it's you know when does that begin when is that the the when does that that moment start where he's he's becoming this guy that's just been around so long that, that we all have our ideas about him yeah it's it's a little easier to track that with keanu reeves because you know he was in so many big movies and he was kind of made fun of but you realize that he is a singular presence like perhaps maybe we we're just kind of uncomfortable with with how unusual he was but i mean he, you know with reeves he's a he's a i mean he's a beautiful person to look at and he has like this charisma that's that's not really it's off it's off the beat in some ways and and like you know people just you know i think affection kind of amounts for people the longer they stick around particularly if they do a really good movie like john wick it's like oh wait we we really like this keanu reeves fellow with cage it's a little more difficult because reeves never he had some memes built around him but he never had like sort of the semi-ironic cult that developed around cage particularly after the rise of youtube after the rise of of gif and meme culture where it's like let's celebrate this but maybe we're also kind of making fun of it but we also love it like it's 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 it seems like you know i think it was a combination of gen x and millennial uh appreciation but it seems like a very gen x um i I, i'm looping myself this is my generation so i I can be a little critical of it i think but it's like where it's like you know i don't know if we're 
being ironic or not, you know? Um, but I, I feel like that I was really happy that Pig came out. I, I think a lot of that was misplaced. You know, I think he's, he's, he's a really interesting actor. A lot of that's out of context, you know, and, and sort of misappropriated. With a, you know, but I, you know, and always I, I, you know, as doing the book, that bore out my suspicions that like watching all his films would confirm that. But toward the end, I got a chance to see Pig, and it was really after the book was written. I do get like sort of a mention of it in the afterward, and I felt like it, you know, justified the book. You know, I was like, here's okay, this is just. You know, that you can look at this as his incontrovertible proof that, that Cage has a lot to offer. He's a really compelling presence. He has range. He can be small and quiet, um, you know. And I, I think it's a neat film, too, because it sets up this expectation that you are going to watch John Wick with a pig or, you know, Taken with a pig or some sort of, you know, revenge movie. And it's just really not that at all. It starts subverting your expectations really early on and becomes this really, I think it's a really profoundly moving film about grief and loss and, and, you know, how your identity shifts over time. Um, yeah. So that, that, that felt like maybe a turning point because I, I don't know that the whole world saw that movie, but anyone who did, um, had you know it's kind of tough to deny what you what you just seen i kind of hope unbearable weight of massive talent kind of is allows them to draw a line and saying okay we we, we had our fun with with you know make you know with the nicholas cage of 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 the public you know the public perception of nicholas cage with the the jokes about you know uh in frugal spending and maybe we can move on from that and just kind of appreciate Nicholas Cage as an actor. We'll see, you know. Yeah, it, it is it is weird because there is this sort of like as you say this sort of well-meaning mockery that mm -hmm. at the same time fucking destroys the very thing that you're trying to do, which is be an actor and not just be this sort of like a celebrity, I guess. And, and I think he understands that there is that there is humor in the bigness of some of his performances and like some of the B-movie stuff he's obviously just having fun like you right. know in jujitsu not a great movie but he's fun in it and he you know he wears uh dennis hopper's costume from apocalypse now <laughs> with, with no explanation right. you know it's just kind of like you know you know fun touches like that i think he understands that there is entertainment to be had in watching an actor go as big as he does but at times but i but there's also you know, that's not just there to, to be laughed at. And you look at something like Mandy, which is a very big expression of performance or becomes one, but it starts out, you know, it only works because the first part of it is so grounded that you get to know this guy and, and get a sense of what he's lost and what's motivating him and how, how deep his sadness goes. Um, as the film progresses and it even has that moment of the you know, i mean that you you highlight it of him drinking the vodka in his underpants which almost feels like the the, the sort of tipping point of the movie that that, that now we're going to go into this territory right and it's you know that moment when you see it with a crowd it gets laughter but it's not really laughing at what he's doing i think it's just this this it's just laughter of discomfort as you know you know you're not usually used to seeing that much raw emotion and that unfiltered and like this unbroken cut and this very 
you know, a performance with a lot of big moments in it, in that in that scene. But but it it feels real and it feels like true to that character. One of the things I got reading your book as well was this idea that there isn't really a slump. You know, there isn't really a moment. Yeah, there's a lot of VOD films, as you say, but every year or two there's some really amazing work. I mean, like Werner Herzog's uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, uh, New Orleans, is an absolutely stunning performance. And again, he finds a director who perfectly fits his sensibility. Yeah, I mean, they both seem like, you know, pairing Cage with Herzog, who's willing to experiment on the fly and you know, diverge from how you think the film that material would be directed in some ways you know with with you know with an actor who does much the same i think it's it really inspired that's one of my favorite of his performances too and uh one that i, I hope i hope you know i think i got a little overlooked at, at the time but I, I i hope people appreciate it for for what it is now because that's one you can cut to pieces and just show like the the big freak out moments and and miss the depth of the of the performance itself but yeah there there's i the low point in terms of him doing interesting work it's pretty early in the vod era like he does joe in 2013 and it's really one of his best performances but after that there's this film called rage that's like a really by the book revenge thriller mob revenge thriller nothing really of redeeming value in it at all left behind the faith-based apocalyptic film yeah i've seen that and that is that's that's a i i I kind of almost wonder if he does a james franco in that that he's sort of appearing in it as a part of some extended situations (laughs) comedy yeah maybe who knows like it's not but it's not that's not even like fun bad you know it's no no and it's one of her duller performances too. There's only a handful of really like I'm I'm bored watching Nicolas Cage films in the filmography, but that's that's definitely uh, one of them. But I mean, you know, uh, there are a lot more. I wouldn't necessarily say everyone has to go watch all those movies, but there are a lot more interesting failures, near misses, things are just a little off, or a couple and a couple of real gems during that decade too i mean he makes two films with paul schrader neither of which i one of which is heavily tampered with by the studio but there's a interesting film in there somewhere other which is 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 deeply unpleasant dark comedy called dog eat dog that i i just you know i can't recommend it but it's not dull oh i really i really like dog eat dog really okay yeah Yeah, i I, I mean it is it's it's freaking vicious and it's got one of the darkest endings ever but it's i found it I, I guess I watched it having heard a lot of bad stuff about it, and I just mm-hmm. thought, no, this is really good. I, I mean, it's a Paul Schrader film, uh, you know, hundred percent that, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but I was not not one of my my favorites of his. But I don't know, maybe I need to go back and <laughs> reappraise. What was the one. other Paul Schrader film that he made? Oh, uh, uh, Dying of the Light, where he plays um, a CIA agent who with um, dementia who's trying to track down a terrorist before he loses his his faculties uh and it's got a, a really it's got a really nice anton yelkin supporting performance in it and it was taken out of schrader's hands he actually released his cut to um to torrents he <laughs> just torrents services uh called dark um and it's much shorter and has a really experimental ending to it mm. it's not entirely successful either but but yeah you know, it's it's not 
you know it, it's of interest for sure oh i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna dig that one out because uh yeah no i, I know that a lot less than doggy dog i mean i haven't seen it and i've seen doggy dog that's how i know <laughs> that's the difference of me mm-hmm. knowing it um and anton yelkin of course tragic you know uh a career cut short it seems like they work together really well he did he does the voiceover he reads yelkin's letters uh in in the documentary love antosha uh mm. and it's like nicholas cage reading teenage anton yelkin's writing but it, but which doesn't sound like it's going to work but it really it really does and i think he did it out of deep respect for for yelkin who you know really fantastic actor i would love to see what he would have done with the rest of his career yeah absolutely i got an opportunity of interviewing him uh, oh, wow. a, a, a few months before he died um and it was yeah he's just a nice it was after the premiere of green room in Cannes, mm-hmm. and he's just a really nice relaxed jokey funny hungover guy you know it was um yeah it's absolutely st- stupid tragedy stupid sort of you know uh yeah no not not good so i mean you had to watch all those vod's and and you've already given us sort of like some sense of the the really rough ones and the low points um uh, and and some of the sort of hidden gems but if you look at the sort of overarching the whole of his career what's your i mean you've said raising arizona already but are there any other sort of gems that you would pick out that maybe other people don't know so well but yeah i mean the ones i go to for for i mean depends on the audience uh your audience probably is more familiar with the, the, the than some some audiences but i mean bad lieutenant protocol new orleans is one i always go to as an overlooked great performance i really love what he does in matchstick men they're really scott mm. uh mm. you know caper uh, drama dark comedy whatever you call it i i think that's a really overlooked film he plays a a con artist with um some form of ocd tourette's and you know that's that's a performance that could, could just get lost in in manners but you know circling back to raising arizona it's like you know there's no he kind of builds out from the humanity of the person uh first other like gems like there's like really in the vod era i always point out mom and dad do you know that one mm, yeah i i like that one a lot i mean it's it's a fun dark comedy uh, by Brian Taylor, who's half of the Neville Dean and Taylor crew team, um, and but there's also like this really he delivers this 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 monologue about the disappointments of middle age and the sort of the ambiguous feelings one has about parenthood sometimes, and and it's it really is just a, you know, this this career highlight you know dramatic moment in the middle of a a film in which otherwise devoted to parents trying to kill their kids but yeah i think that's that's, that's a good one the 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 one i think nobody knows is a film called the trust which is i think it's has a little trouble sticking the landing but it's this really dark you know darkly comedic crime film set in las vegas co-starring elijah wood where they're you know pulling off a heist uh and he just plays just an awful person in in the midst of a bunch of awful people but there's some fun comedic moments like there's this montage where he's clearly having the time of his life you know going undercover as a hotel employee uh and he gets a a scene maybe two scenes i can't remember with with jerry lewis it was an early inspiration but he plays he plays his father and it's kind of nice to see those two uh sharing the screen um it's directed by 
a team called uh, you know Alex Brewer and Ben Brewer who mostly do music videos, but uh, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd watch another feature they did. I, I, I like that one quite a bit. Oh, that's I, I've not seen. I've not seen that. I'll have to. I'll have to dig that one out as well and and, uh, and see if I can track it down. In the book, you have, you haven't interviewed Nicolas Cage himself or or approached. Have you? Did you approach him? I approached his 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 people early on and said, you know, I'm doing this book. I'd love to talk to him. I never heard back. I didn't really expect to. And it's okay because I didn't really want to be, I kind of wanted, I didn't necessarily want his voice in the mix. Like I'd love to read a book in which he talked about his experiences in Hollywood, but that really wasn't the book I set out to write. So, you know, it was fine. I, 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 um, it was, you know, it, it was okay. Not, not having that access, um, as, as, as interesting as it might be. Uh, he, has referenced the book in an interview oh, with yeah. Rolling Stone. He oh, okay. had what did nice he say? Thing, he had nice things to say about it. <laughs> you know, it oh, was. Okay. Uh, I, I think he's. I forget what. I, I what. It's like it's not like I need needed that as validation to have him approve of the book, but it was nice to hear. It was nice to hear that to be to be yeah. Nice to hear that he knew you existed and the book existed and yeah, I think and that's, seemed uh... to like it. So you know. But I mean, it makes sense as well because you know it's not cage on cage, which would be as I, I agree. I'd love to read that book. You know, someone doing a retrospective series of interviews for his career. Wouldn't you love like to see like a, like a Matt Zoller cites Wes Anderson style book with uh, illustrations and an extensive yeah. interview? Yeah, absolutely. No, that would that would be lovely as well. But I think that idea that goes from the very title, "The Age of Cage," because it gives you a sense that this isn't just about Nicolas Cage. It's kind of like he's the droplet of water that's running down the hill and you're you're getting to describe the hill as well mm. as the drop of water, you know, the contours. Because he's, you know, when you look at his career, it's like, well, we were all crazy for David Lynch in the 19, early 1990s. And then Wild at Heart comes out and we're all crazy for John Woo and Face Off comes out. And he, he seems to be hitting those cultural markers uh, you know, um, yeah, The Rock was like a decent, is a very decent action film uh, of which, which then spawned, you know, hundreds of not so decent action films. But you know, so you get to see that 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 title I I I I felt was really the key to the whole book. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I it really is like the you coming up with that name was was really like the Dirk Diggler in the hot tub moment for me it's like uh and i think it helps sell, sell the book it is it is you know, uh, you know whatever you think of the book it, it is it's a pretty catchy title I'm, I'm interested in how he's he's developed and how he's got this you know i was comparing him to keanu reeves earlier but in a sense it's he, he's totally unique you know there's not there's there's some similarities there but but he, he's it's weird it's it's uh it's so strange, and yet at the same time, I always feel, as with Joe, as with Birdie, that he's utterly convincing as as literally, you know, the everyday Joe, you know. Yeah, and and like I don't know, I don't, I'm not in terms of like him standing out. Like you know, I make a reference early on to Eric Stoltz as is one of the actors he says made fun of his name, and you know, I I, I don't want to get the impression I I don't like Eric Stoltz. I think he's a really great actor, still doing find an interesting work uh all these years later like you know you show me something that eric stoltz is in I'm like oh good eric stoltz is in this but at the same time if you put those careers next to each other you know who has had you know you can't really compare them eric stoltz does a, does what he does very well cages you know out there 
doing a bunch of different things and 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 it has just sort of a, like this x factor that doesn't quite uh that no one else quite has i mean cage is racking up like a number of uh, of credits on imdb it's it's like looking back at one of the old style studio stars to mm-hmm. you know who who has you know john carradine or someone who has a hundred plus credits he's got that sort of what's the word Pro- not proficiency it begins with a p prolific yeah i mean that's uh, the word right i mean he talks about how he likes to work i mean it, mm. I, I obviously the last there's a period where he was motivated by the need to work steadily to pay off bills but i mean he describes himself as someone who's just not that comfortable with leisure time and you know doesn't always you know it just feels like he, it, the sense he suggests he's, he's just it's not his best self if he's not working you know he's a, a little adrift so I, I don't think that would change i mean i mean the the sheer number of films gets somewhat distorted by the amount of work he's just done in the last decade where where i'm looking at 2016 where he has you know seven credits six credits and you know one of them is a supporting role he has a small role in snowden the rest are all all leads i mean it's it's an it's a in, intense schedule and you know you mentioned eric stoltz earlier as well i mean he had a bit of a i think sean penn was was sort of fairly unkind when he sort of says oh cage is just playing cage it's it's beginning to play himself as a character in his films which which he he took quite personally as well he did like they were friends and then they weren't i mean penn said some unkind things about him in the press and i but i think also maybe around the same time you know every if you're a big star there's inevitably a backlash and i feel like maybe penn's criticism kind of coincided with that backlash or, or the early stages or sort of anticipated that backlash in, in some ways. But I mean, you know, Penn's great, but I, I wouldn't trade, you know, I wouldn't trade his career for, for cages, you know, I mean, and, and I feel like in, in some ways he's kind of, it was really fun to see Penn and uh, Licorice Pizza, like, like in a, at a light kind of comedic mo- role where he seemed like he was kind of having fun where, where most of the time you just get him just, as people carrying the weight of the world on their soldier on their shoulders and and it's not always that interesting i mean he's he's done great stuff i mean i i think i think i think uh uh you know his you know, milk is a really great performance but it, it's 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 there's an inconsistency to it in, in some ways i don't know i i should i don't want to turn this into sean penn stinks because sean penn doesn't stink i like sean penn a lot generally speaking except when he writes novels of course we have to make that clear <laughs> right well i, I couldn't speak to it from experience there <laughs> uh, believe me <laughs> uh, keith the last question i have to ask you is could you recommend a film book for our listeners so uh, a film book that you that some has inspired you or that you just liked (laughs) oh wow well i mean there's so many i mean i mean i'm just most recently i really loved uh dana stevens uh buster keaton book and uh, a cameraman which which dana's a friend so i'm I'm a little you know i'm a little inclined to like it anyway but but i do love you know kind of it's the type of film book i like where where it's you know you learn a lot about the film the the subject and the filmmaking but also the culture around it uh i, I the digressions in it are are worth the the price of admission alone but i mean honestly i mean i i was always more of a i, I came to read roger ebert later 
uh, I was more of a TV watcher of Roger Ebert because I, I, you know, as, as a kid, I didn't have any way to get his reviews. And I, I did not buy his books. I probably should have. Now I now I enjoy going back and reading his old reviews a, a lot. Like, you know, I don't always agree with him, but but whenever I'm researching something, I was like, I want to get Ebert's, what was Ebert's take on this, you know? Uh, mm. but I mean, really the single probably most influential book for me was like I referenced before is, is Leonard Maltin's TV movies, which was this thick, you know, pocket paperback sized, you know, proportioned uh, movie guide filled with capsule reviews. And it was just the breadth of, you know, it wasn't every movie, but it felt like every movie. And just to be able to go and, and reference that. And they were off, often just really well written. It wasn't just Maltin. A lot of it was, was Mike Clark from USA Today and a couple of other people but like i there's a capsule review of, of dawn of the dead which is one of my all-time favorite movies but but it's also like just as a piece of writing it's just it's probably 75 words but it's, it's such an evocative description of that movie it's kind of stuck with me as as you know probably as, as influential of a review as i've as, as i've ever read uh, you know when, in in the formative years as a, as a critic it's sort of like the haiku version of a, a movie review getting that one of those capsule reviews that are really good and I write a lot of capsules, like as, 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 you know, I do, I do, you know, the monthly previews for Rolling Stone. I do a lot of, you know, list work and things like that. And like, I take that stuff really seriously. I think it's, 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 it is, you know, to condense thoughts like that is, is, you know, is, is a skill. Is it, yeah. It's an art form in itself in some ways. And what, what about now that you've, you've, you've done your age of cage, has that sort of whetted your appetite to do some more, uh, another book? I'd love to do another book. And for one reason or another, I haven't gotten another one going yet. Um, my friend, my friend, Steve Hyden, the music critic, always seems like, you know, finish, <laughs> publish one book and announce the next. And I'd love to be that kind of writer. Uh, I but maybe maybe down the down the road. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just one of, you know, I loved doing this, but I recognize what a huge commitment. Like this is a year, more than a year of my life immersed in 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 cage stuff um watching writing researching uh which was a pleasure but i need the next book to be as exciting to, for me to do as it is as this one was yeah you know i bounced around a few ideas we'll we'll, we'll, we'll land on something somewhere I, I i i hope and you'll come and talk to me when you when you absolutely anytime oh. just 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 drop me a line Okay, that was uh, Keith, and uh, that was Nicolas Cage. I think that's about as in-depth as I've ever looked at Nicolas Cage's career, and like many times uh, during this uh, series of podcasts, I, I'm just uh, I'm just struck by once you once you delve in, how interesting things become. You know, everything is fascinating if you look at it the right way. I think, and Nicolas Cage, wow, what a crazy career! I mean, this cult cult figure, and yet at the same time, this massively popular popcorn movie star. Uh, the man's an enigma. I mean, he's so weird, and yet at the same time, he just plays these ordinary joke kind of characters, as we, as we were talking about in the conversation. Keith, what what light you shone! What a what a great thing! I'm so grateful for him to come along and talk to us about that. Uh, okay, so uh, I guess there's nothing else to do over the next few weeks. I'm going to be away at Cannes, but I'm going to keep the uh, the review, the interviews rolling, and the episodes coming out. So hopefully there won't be a break, and I'm hoping. 
hoping they'll record some uh, some stuff in can as well. That would be great. Thanks go to Ali Howard for the artwork, Elliot Atkins for the music, and uh, thank you also to you, the listener. Uh, you, your support is is never taken for granted. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.